Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host, Dr. Reed Robison, and I talk about how one might prepare for a psychedelic journey. We discuss the four domains of preparation, the importance of intention setting, share some stories from the trenches, and of course, much, much more. As is customary, I want to thank all of you who have left us reviews in places like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That is the easiest and most concrete way you can support this show. I want to thank everybody who's, who have reached out to us via email and uh, on social media. Folks, we won't know how to make this show better if you don't tell us, so feedback is much appreciated. Speaking of making the show better, a couple episodes ago I promised that there were big changes coming to the show. Those changes are coming. They are coming soon. And we think they're going to improve the quality of the show and really deliver more value to you as a loyal listener. So thank you for listening. Please enjoy today's episode on how to prepare for a psychedelic journey. Reed, it's not uncommon for you or myself to get questions about how one might prepare for a psychedelic journey. I feel like we get these questions on our Instagram uh, I may or may not yep. be mentioning Instagram, so you go follow us on Instagram. We get them via email, uh, certainly get them in clinic. So we thought we've, we've touched on a lot of these principles before in other episodes, like we had a whole episode dedicated to intentions, for example, but we thought it might be nice to just sort of have a little condensed episode on preparing for a psychedelic journey. Yeah, we get asked by therapists, how to prepare a client for psychedelic therapy, whether they're doing a ketamine session with that therapist at an outside clinic or whether they're going off to the jungle for ayahuasca Mm -hmm. and from clients like, what do I do? I signed up for this retreat next month or next year. Right. Yeah. And you know, there's this, this term in psychedelic therapy world uh, called harm reduction, where we have a lot of people who also will just ask us, hey, I got some mushrooms from a friend and I really want to have this psychedelic journey. What are some things I ought to know? And as licensed mental health providers, medical providers, we don't encourage the use of illicit substances. But um, if I have a client or a friend who's going to do this, I want to make sure I do whatever I can with knowledge that I have to reduce potential harm. Yeah. And that is, even though I much prefer looking at it in a positive light, just personally, Mm -hmm. like the harm reduction term, I think has so much importance in the world at large. But when you're consciously picking or deciding to go on a journey, like I think then it's really a conscious preparation, even though the goals are the same, like part of your preparation is to minimize risk, maximize outcomes, get ready for the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think uh, there's overlap in those two school, those two camps for sure. Yeah, and I'll be transparent that the statement about harm reduction is a little CYA. Like, you know, yeah. these a lot of these substances, depending on where you live in the planet, are illegal. Um, I don't think they should be. I'm a cognitive liberty advocate. I think people should have the right to alter consciousness if they choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, like, we often talk about on this podcast, psychedelics have the potential to be very, very transformative for people. Healing in one in some ways, uh, creativity boosting in other ways. But like we'll talk about today, um, they can also be disruptive to people and uh, not everyone should use them. And your preparation matters with something like this. So 
disclaimers abound, but uh, I think the content will be useful nonetheless. Yeah, preparation matters. It does. It's it's probably, along with integration, <laughs> of course, one of the most overlooked or rushed parts of the experience. Even in today's world of psychedelic assisted psychotherapy structure being you know more and more commonplace within like clinics and retreats and things, um, people might view it as it's my prep session mm-hmm. or two, rather than long-term prep um, of getting to know oneself, um, the more intermediate term prep of taking on practices to help you navigate and get ready, like mindfulness, breathing, like fine-tuning the body and the mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the nearer, nearer term of like unearthing your intentions as the journey approaches. Right. Yeah, Yeah, well, let's get into it. I think I was just, as you were talking, I was... Uh, remembering that a friend of mine from the Air Force, psychiatrist buddy of mine from the Air Force, he was in the office next to me at, at Barksdale. Um, we had a lot of good times together, but suffered together too. Um, he texted me out of the blue and said, "Hey man, I don't I know you're into this psychedelic stuff, but I am getting so many of my patients asking me about mm-hmm. microdosing, asking me about going off their SSRIs, or can they go to this psilocybin retreat in Jamaica, or can they go do ayahuasca in Costa Rica and still be on their SSRIs?" He's like, "What's going on? Point point me to a resource. There are a lot of good resources out there, but just to kind of highlight again the I think yeah. the need for good psychedelic education." And you bring up another good point is preparing for a journey might involve tapering off medicines that could interfere or be unsafe along with the psychedelic medicine, for example, and doing that over many months, for example. Right, right. Okay, so let's let's try to structure the conversation here around preparation. Um, When I think of the domains of psychedelic preparation, I think of at least four, right? There's physical prep, we can talk about that involves Mm -hmm. psychological and a a prep, um, spiritual prep and social prep. There's, I'm sure there are many more categories, but that's just kind of the way I organize it in my mind. Um, any additions or subtractions to that list? Do you think? No, I, I like, uh, I like it. So psychological prep, um, I think about, you know, your, or we start, start with physical. Let's start with physical. So you mentioned um, the medicines being something that you might need to consider, like what medicines are you on, psychotropics or otherwise, that might mm-hmm. may or may not interfere with the medicine or be contraindicated with what psychedelic you're, you choose to use or you're going to use. Um, but also just preparing your body. Like what, what's your, what are your sleep habits like? What are your um, nutrition mm-hmm. habits like? What are your physical movement habits like? Uh, are you seeing a body worker to help you with the knots and kinks and energetic dams. (laughs) Are you addicted to caffeine? And might the shaman or medicine team ask you to stop that for a few days surrounding the ceremony? And if so, what what would that be like? Right. Mm -hmm. I've seen many people go into their their journeys with an unfortunate headache for that reason. Right. Yeah. Um even though there there are lots of nuances to that and ways to navigate it, but but I think it's a good example of physical prep. Another one that comes to mind is uh, I remember being in uh, an ayahuasca ceremony once with um, a bunch of tight male dudes who couldn't sit still because their hips were so tight and Mm. uh, they'd never done yoga in their life. And 
they had to squirm and it was highly distracting to them. And mm -hmm. it made me remember this um, idea that like the Buddha, once he left the kingdom and started on this path, uh, rumor has it, legend has it, that he did a bunch of yoga in order to be able to sit still long enough to actually attain enlightened states. Mm -hmm. And I think the same applies to ceremony. Like, can you sit still long enough? Yeah, I was thinking um, for some of these psychedelic ceremonies, uh, <laughs> your physical limitations could, as you're stating, could really limit the potential mm -hmm. uh, for the experience that you have. Because some of these psychedelic ceremonies are physically arduous. Like you hear about ayahuasca in particular, or we had that episode on ibogaine. And um, mm -hmm. for some people, their psilocybin experiences involve trembling and tightness and changes of position and purging. And um, yeah, they can be physically challenging. So it makes sense to be physically prepared. And being limber is one of those things, but uh, being in good cardiac health, probably good too. Yeah, practicing breathing. You know, just just learning to uh, tune into the breath as an anchor during difficult times. Like mm. sitting in meditation is a good practice. Doing breath work is its own journey that we could talk about, but yeah. and we have talked about. But um, there are certain key practices like meditating, mindfulness. Uh, you know, ab ability to be with your body in an experience like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's popping in my mind for physical prep is, uh, and there are overlaps between these four categories, but, um, getting to know your body, like inhabiting your body, being yeah. in tuned and embodied, like we've talked about in other episodes as well, but like getting, getting really, really acquainted with when I experience this thought or this feeling, it manifests in this way in my body. Like where, how are those things connected? Cause you're going to experience your body in different ways, typically on a psychedelic medicine. And so it helps. It helps to mm -hmm. know what uh, what your body's all about. Last month when I went out of the country for a, a ceremony, mm -hmm. we had some preparation from an elder in the Blackfeet tribe who uh, gave this really great meta metaphor that I'll never forget and has already proven very useful is uh, the idea that um, in your head it gets a little bit chaotic, and I use the tree analogy. It gets windy up there in the branches and the leaves. Uh, remember to come back down to the trunk where it's more solid. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, just such a simple way to remember to get out of the head, into the heart, into the body, into the embodied experience, because that is your greatest resource for navigating the, yeah, like a, a wild psychedelic journey. Mm -hmm. It's just, um, think of all the resources we have by being embodied beyond just the breath. Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's so, I love that metaphor. Because you hear words like grounding and anchoring. Yeah. I mean, they, they all sort of uh, create this image of coming down and being stable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, climb back down. One of my favorite guided meditations, uh, to use in preparation for a psychedelic experience involves imagining your feet as you sort of feel your feet and contacting the ground, um, sort of growing tendrils of energy roots yeah. down into the earth, all the way to the earth's core, just feeling connected to the earth. And then, um, out the top of your head, other sort of energy and, um, tendrils go into the cosmos and you're just this nexus point between being grounded on the earth and connected to perspective out into the universe. Yeah, I love that, that. That grounding is so, so crucial. 
Yeah, because one of the biggest fears people have during a psychedelic experience is, well, losing one's mind, losing oneself, dying, mm -hmm. never returning back to home base, to like normal waking reality. And uh, yeah, being able to ground or have that ground control skill is, is crucial mm -hmm. for being able to actually surrender into the experience. It's a good segue into the psychological category, I think, of preparation, mm -hmm. because one of the things that people um, often struggle with is fear and resistance yeah. and anxiety when it comes, especially if it's their first altered state experience. Yeah. And fear often leads to resistance. Like when we're scared of something, we don't want it. We want it to, to be away from it or for it to go away from us. And oftentimes in a psychedelic experience, if what is presented to you or where you find yourself, if you resist or if you try to control, that's when it turns distressing or people have those quote unquote bad trips. What you resist persists. What's another saying? There's got to be a, a catchy one about what you persist. Turns into a scary monster yeah. in your face during a journey. <laughs> it reminds me of the Harry, the Harry Potter thing. I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan, but there's some scene in, in those movies uh, where they're dealing with a, um, like a little creature that turns into whatever they fear. And one of the, the ways they deal with yeah. it is they laugh at it. Like they, they make, yeah. but in order to do that, they have to embrace it. They have to allow its presence, right? Yeah, you need to get to know and befriend your fears. You get to, you've got to ideally during preparation, do a lot of work on getting to know yourself, including the resistances that will likely come up when faced with this difficult task of letting go. Mm -hmm. Like what do you hold on to in day-to-day -day life? Yeah, I think that's one of the most useful forms of psychological preparation is getting to know your triggers. Um, really following those triggers all the way down to... You could call it trigger mapping, right? Just sort of yeah. mapping all the triggers that you can um, all the way down to their roots. There's an idea I like. That's a question I'm still sitting with year after year is like, I once read that enlightenment is following one thing through all the way to the end. Mm. And what you said about triggers makes me think of that, like getting to know your trigger. Triggers are friends to follow, mm -hmm. right? The mm -hmm. obstacle is the path. And following it to its origin. If if you can connect it to the earliest time in your life when you felt that way, mm -hmm. or other contributing factors to why does, you know, someone honking the horn at me cause this reaction in my body? Or why did I have this hysterical reaction to someone's like innocent little comment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's lots of um, talk around self-awareness and what I think there are some assumptions about what self-awareness actually means that are probably wrong. But what you just described sounds like if there is real self-awareness, that's at least part of it. That mm -hmm. being able to follow what manifested in you, what was triggered, not your triggers, but to follow what was triggered all the way back to its origin story or to where, to where it began, to its origin. Um, man, that is powerful self-awareness. And yeah. there are people listening to this right now going like, cool, how? <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. get that. Like when something's triggered, it just, I just feel crappy. But you, you kind of gave us a hint when you said, think of the earliest time in your life yeah. when you felt something like this, because it probably started when you were young. Yeah. I've, I've done this, um, practice with 
countless people before journeys, ketamine and other things. It was, in fact, part of our protocol in that ketamine study mm -hmm. we did um, of like an emotion-focused approach to CAP, where before the session, we would do a process of self-exploration of thinking of a recent trigger, tracing it back in a meditative guided way to the earliest time you felt that way, and uh, looking at your unmet needs at the time, how it felt, remembering the scene. But then you're drawing this bridge, like, oh, wow, the compassion that rushes in as you get some awareness of why you just reacted to this little trigger that might have otherwise, otherwise be embarrassing, or you might have some self-criticism around, that you just drew this compassionate bridge and created a new narrative around uh, like, oh, that's why, and that's how awareness is half the battle. Now I can heal it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I feel like if you can do what you just described and bring that into a psychedelic medicine journey, um, you're probably going to increase the likelihood that healing happens. Like that kind of pre-work, that kind of preparatory work for a psychedelic experience is game-changing. Yeah. What triggers you? What do you resist? Like, what do you avoid? Uh, and what are you afraid of? Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, and I think one form of preparation, in addition to what you're talking about, is to practice being in um, in the presence of your triggers. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about it before, or at least referenced it before. You, you can just practice being in the presence of discomfort. Like, you can do the cold plunge or the sauna mm -hmm. or breath holds. Um, you can go on a strenuous hike, just surrendering yourself to discomfort is a great way to practice for what might show up in a psychedelic experience that could involve a lot of discomfort. Like mm -hmm. practice, what's it like to just, Ooh, I don't like being cold. I'm going to sit here with my, put my best mindfulness hat on and just notice being cold. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to look, to reflect on how I viewed these triggers or uncomfortable situations a year ago, several years ago, and how I seek them out now, like whether it's cold plunge or a practice like Sananga, those eye drops that mm. burn your eyes for a minute or two. Yeah, those like, are unpleasant to say the least. <laughs> yeah, unpleasant. Before I did them, I was like, like, well, like why the heck would I do that? But now I'm like, when's the next chance I get to do Sananga and have my eyeballs feel like they're burning so I can practice surrender? And I think the reason is because it's come in so handy in day-to-day -day life. The ability to sit with the discomfort has done more to uh, help me grow and navigate life than anything I can think of in this moment. We talk a lot about that from this perspective, from this Eastern perspective of equanimity and, and mindfulness. Um, but I'm also uh, reminded of the science on grit and perseverance, yeah. people like yeah. Angela Duckworth and... Um, but that is one of the characteristics of resilience and grit is this phenomenon of being present to your discomfort without engaging in any kind of avoidance. I brought a, a bottle of Sananga from Four Visions Marketplace, shout out, um, <laughs> non-sponsored, great organization, um, uh, purveyors of good hapes from the Amazon, for example. But I brought it in my fanny pack on a hike to, uh, it's now called Kiv Peak in Provo, up Rock Canyon Park, mm -hmm. and then had uh, Hannah Sananga shaman me at the top of the mountain, which was, uh, it was a fun practice. It's yeah. kind of, yeah. 
just to, uh, yeah. And then there are other reasons people do it for like, you know, that surrender practice, uh, helps you really be present. Like then you have this clarity, this presence, this clairvoyance, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what, what becomes clear when you are very present and there's nothing like discomfort when you surrender to it to bring you into the immediate moment. Yeah. So uh, preparing for your journey mm -hmm. and look for ways to sit with discomfort. Mm -hmm. Go to a meditation class, even if you've never been, especially if you've never been, because they're going to make you sit or lay there for an hour and that may not be your practice. Um, but if you go to an ayahuasca retreat or you fly off to the Netherlands to a psilocybin ceremony, you're going to be there on a mat, in a seat, you know, maybe moving around a little, but for hours. Yeah. And if you want to do something more simple, just set a timer on your phone for five minutes. Yeah. Sit and stare at a wall and pay attention to create what I call craving self. So mm -hmm. anytime you you experience the, the thought, the sensation, the urge to I do like anything that. other than stare at the wall, like, oh, I wonder what's, you know, you mindlessly reach for your phone to check a social media app or something like that, or oh, I'm kind of hungry or I want to move right now. You just say in your mind or out loud, if you want craving self, craving mm -hmm. self, and you just notice it. And you'll discover like a lot of what you do day to day, moment to moment is an automatic habit, you know, habitual responding to, I don't want to feel something or I do want to feel something. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. That's a great practice. Um, another way of moving towards triggers that I'm just thinking is, uh, well, go to all the family dinners you can have all the deep chats with your significant other. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, I say it playfully, but really there's this yeah. idea that is quite true that we are mirrors for each other. And we have these blind spots that we can't see until they're reflected back at us by someone close to us. Um, close to us, meaning like you might get triggered at the grocery store and you could do some processing on that, but there's nothing like the container of a loving relationship in your, especially your closest ones in life to, uh, see those and work on them, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, uh, it's a beautiful way to bring stuff up, um, during these preparation phases. Yeah. It dovetails nicely with the other category that I mentioned, the social preparation. Yeah. Um, and again, these all overlap, like I said before, but I, I think part of preparation is, is if you can, if you're lucky enough to have these people in your life, like who among the people who love you and that you love, could you talk to about this? Could you talk to about going into ceremony or journey? Um, or could you talk to about your experience? Because it, shit gets weird when you have, <laughs> when you're on a psychedelic yeah, yeah. and you don't want to cast those pearls before swine. Um, you want to be really discerning yeah. about who you share mm -hmm. these, uh, what can, uh, amount to be yeah. sacred experiences with. And speaking your intention or working through it, your potential intentions and what you're going through helps find it and make it real, especially as you're approaching it. Uh, you know, there's something special about both writing it and speaking it out loud. Yeah. And work, maybe even workshopping it. Like if you've got yeah. a therapist or a coach or a trusted loved one, Hey, this is why I think I'm doing this. Uh, what do you think? You know, not that you should out uh, outsource it necessarily, but workshop it. I love that question. I do it almost just for fun to asking people like, 
ooh, what would you prescribe to me as an intention? Just this like, because it's hard to get honest answers of like, mm-hmm. what should I work on? And you got to also take it with a giant grain of salt, but it is, it is really valuable to try and see yourself through others' eyes, especially people who know you really well right. um, in that safe container. You gave me an intention once when we were doing uh-huh. our uh, our experiential training for our ketamine study hmm. with Phil Wolfson. Remember, I was asking you like, I don't know, blah, 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 and, and I think you suggested uh, show me who I am, and it was just wow. simple, and it was exactly what I wanted, but I didn't know I wanted it, and I took hmm. that into my ketamine experience, and it was my favorite ketamine experience. That by was far. that was a fun story to hear about after. I still I still remember it. I can I have my own picture of it even yeah. though it looked probably different in your in your dream state. <laughs> yeah, it was a great yeah. great example of what you were just what you just said and and when I've traveled for ayahuasca ceremony, I've I've workshopped my intentions with people that I really trust, whether yeah. it's a a loved one, somebody like you, my wife, um, therapists, it's helped tremendously. I mean, mm-hmm. I've done the majority of the work on my own cause it is my intention, but yeah, it helps to get feedback. So one other thought, um, there are lots of other thoughts on preparation, but one thing that comes to mind is this idea that when you sign on to a ceremony, mm-hmm. that's when the ceremony begins. Like what did, what did Leo Zeff say? He was the secret chief. He was famous for saying, the trip has already begun. And it's pretty neat to think about, like once you commit to doing a journey, like whether it's your first or 10th ketamine therapy experience a month or six months away or ayahuasca in the jungle next year or whatever it is, um, something coming up soon, that's when like you can start to feel the ripple effects like uh, cuz understandably your soul your psyche is anticipating mm-hmm. the fears start to come up uh like the t- the soil starts to get tilled along the way so i think it's a really neat concept yeah there's a there's a stoic an old stoic quote that's i'm going to butcher that i heard Ryan Holiday talk about he's he's trying to uh market his new book um but something like if you don't have uh, a, a destination in mind, then no wind is favorable. This is a shipping metaphor, I guess. Mm. So, um, when you've set your, your course on this psychedelic journey, all of a sudden the wind that's blowing there anyway, perhaps becomes favorable. It's, it's already propelling you toward this, this ceremony, this journey and the potential insights there. But that's certainly been my experience with a lot of my ketamine clients as we're going through the preparation process and we're talking about intentions and they're having their preparation sessions. Uh, a lot shows up just in the preparation phase. And I, frankly, a lot of work gets done mm-hmm. in the preparation phase if they take it seriously. Yeah. And I love the ship metaphor as well, because like, I like to look at, um, well, all of life's a ceremony, right? We're preparing as we go. We're integrating as we go. We have these little it's punctuated by these little mystical experiences and rituals and psychedelic experiences, medicine or not. Like life could deal you some psychedelic blow. Mm-hmm. That's that's an intense trip in itself. So we better be preparing. But also there's this, this river of our lives that we don't have entire control of. Like you basically have as much control over your 
over how your psychedelic journey goes as you have control over how your life goes, mm. right? Like you can shape it, you can gently steer it. Um, you can get your sail up and, and ride that, but like you don't get to pick. <laughs> you don't get to pick at all. No. Yeah. I like that. I like comparing it to life generally. Because when I think back on my life, like, sure, there are certain decisions that I made, but what influenced those decisions? So much context. I mean, there's so many dominoes that were knocked down way before I was born <laughs> that ultimately led to the opportunities that were presented to me to make certain decisions. So I, yeah. I try not to freak myself out too much about this um, with life or with psychedelic experiences. And we'll talk in a second about surrender, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind. But then our preparation becomes this this attitude or this stance of uh, getting ready to be shown whatever is going to be shown and then getting ready to do with it what we will instead of getting completely blindsided or reacting in some you know, huge resistance or fear. Mm -hmm. um, that stance of surrender that the practice begins long before your ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, like I mean, that. the ceremony is the preparation too, essentially. But uh, Leo Zeff, just a little tangent. Um, as I think it's a fun story of, of his life. He was um, the secret chief. There was that book, I think in the eighties that came out called the secret chief. Cause he was the Johnny Appleseed of MDMA. And mm -hmm. even in that book, he used a, a pseudonym. I think it was Adam something. Mm. And he even called MDMA Adam, Adam was yeah. his nickname because it brought you to this return to innocence, I guess. But he started out as an LSD therapist, um, kind of pioneering this um, psychedelic session approach, eye shades, music, mm. like holding space. And then um, it was the Shulgans who introduced him to MDMA and he was like, boom, mind blown. And like they say, he was responsible for introducing MDMA to 4,000 therapists. Wow. Um, the Johnny Appleseed of yeah. MDMA. But I heard this tribute by Terrence McKenna on YouTube of uh, Leo Zeff, and it was the sweetest thing. Like, I think Terrence McKenna said something like, you know, I've never met anyone with such kindness, wisdom, humor like as Leo Zeff, like a gentle giant. And Terrence said, he even said to uh, Leo, like, wherever your canoe is going, I want to be on it. I want to be in it with you. And then Leo said something like, you are always welcome in my canoe. Yeah. So I thought it was a fun, a fun tribute to him. A beautiful soul. Yeah. I, I love these characters that are, you know, these people who are, um, I don't know what you would call them, but I guess they're characters in the story of psychedelic medicine, modern psychedelic medicine. There's even a, a quote I pulled that Leo Zeff shared with Terrence twice in like the six months, maybe leading up to his death. And I don't know, I haven't even fully read it yet, but we could, I could read it and we yeah. could just uh, see what it holds. Let's experience for it us. together, yeah. Because it's by uh, um, Rainer Marie Rilke if I'm saying the German name right of mm. the epic uh, writer. Leave your opinions their own quiet... Okay, I'm starting over. Leave to your opinions their own quiet, undisturbed development, which, like all progress, must come from deep within and cannot be pressed or hurried by anything. Everything is gestation. And then bringing forth... 
to let each impression and each germ of a feeling come to completion wholly in itself, in the dark, in the inexpressible, the unconscious, beyond the reach of one's own intelligence, and await with deep humility and patience the birth hour of new clarity. That alone is living the artist's life, in understanding as in creating, in that there is no measuring with time, no year is of any value, and ten years are as nothing. Being an artist means not reckoning and counting, but ripening like the tree, which does not force its sap and stands confident in the storms of spring, without the fear that, alter, that after them may come no summer. It does come, but it only comes to the patient, who are there as though eternity lay before them, so unconcernedly still and wide. I learn it daily, learn it with pain to which I am grateful. Patience is everything. Hmm. I like that. What, what came up for me was the balance between being patient but not idle. Yeah. Right? I, I think when we're preparing for a psychedelic experience, we're patient. We're not forcing. We talked about surrender, the importance of letting go and being curious. We're not idle either. We're doing all this other stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. We're working on ourselves. We're working at self-development. We're working at self-healing um, and self-awareness. So patience, yes, but... Don't be idle, I think. Everything is gestation. Mm. And then bringing forth. I just lost my voice. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, it's an amazing quote about preparation. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, like all pro progress must come from deep within and can't be pressed or hurried. Right. Yeah, must come from deep within. So you can't force it, can't press it or hurry it. Um, can't control it. I think... You know, is there anything we want to say specifically about intention setting along those lines? Because people go in, I mean, we do psychedelic journeys for reasons. And I think it's important for you to be thoughtful about why you're doing it. And there, there could be a lot of different reasons why a person would engage uh, or submit themselves to a psychedelic journey. Um, and I think, as I said, people should be clear about that. Is it for healing? Is it for problem solving? Is it for deep spiritual exploration and growth? Yeah. Is it just as, as Duncan Trussell, as we heard Duncan Trussell say at uh, Meet Delica over a year ago, is it just pure hedonism? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. there for enjoyment. Um, yeah. yeah. Why are you doing it? That might be someone's intention. I think that's a really important question is why are you doing this? What moved you to sign on to this? And as a starting point to understanding your possible intentions and motives, and there can be multiple, and it's all good. But, mm -hmm. um, but then the intention without attachment is such an important concept. Like, like we're saying, your intention could be surrender. Show me whatever the hell is going to come up, which is beautiful. Or it might be a question, like like you were saying, show me who I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard I heard intentions called once a loosely held hope. Mm -hmm. And that makes them different from expectations, right? Our expectations are, this is what I, this is what must happen. Or, you know, this is, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to be really disappointed. And you, you should be thoughtful about disappointment. It's okay to feel disappointment. Um, but I, I like the intention attitude better, I think, as a preparation tool than an expectation. Yeah. And oh, yeah. it is something we would like to explore or unfold or understand better or heal or transform or whatever. Um, but... As, uh, as one of my ketamine clients put it the other day, um, I didn't get what I asked for, but I got what I needed. 
Beautiful. Because he brought in his intention, but then followed the instructions of, this is what I want, but show me what I need. Like, yeah, surrender, let go, go through. Yeah, that's so key. Um, the dif- the difference between the expectation and intention. In fact, I like the. I've always loved looking at it through a yoga lens. Like in yoga class, you might hear, "What's your intention for your class today?" Um, but if you go deep on it in like the Sanskrit terms, like the intention, sometimes the word sankalpa, I think in Sanskrit, um, is like a seed or could be translated like a vow birthed from the very core of your being. And then if I look at it that way, like you're going looking for what's alive in you, like you're doing a deep inward dive, finding out what intentions are coming from your heart, not your expectations of your mind. And then in this fertile ground of ceremony, like preparing, and especially during the experience in that therapeutic state of consciousness, you're, you're really planting that seed. And then the work, the journey, like creates this bridge to the everyday waking consciousness, manifests it in the day-to-day life, which mm-hmm. I think like helps that seed grow, germinate, gestate. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good sort of combination of all these principles we're talking about with, um, diving in, paying attention to your triggers, origin stories and patience, uh, but not idleness. There's a, a quote by the poet Mark Nepo that I like. Um, to listen is to lean in softly with a willingness to be changed by what we hear. I love that. And that willingness part is really, really important. Uh, all my minds, that surrender piece. Like sometimes if you're not, if you don't have that dial of willingness turned up mm-hmm. to 11, then the, you're going to miss out on some really important lessons. To, lean, to listen is to lean in softly. Softly, with a willingness to be changed by what we hear. Yeah, that's a, that's a key part of the recipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of people go into ceremonies saying like, yeah, I just have this question, mm-hmm. um, but don't tell me anything about this part of my life. Um, and sure, there's a, there's a readiness, but... Um, and you can't tackle it all at once for sure. But uh, but yeah, that's some interesting resistance to explore right there. You know, it makes me think of the one time I was in an ayahuasca ceremony and I really didn't want to puke. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh yeah. First time I had ever experienced ayahuasca, I vomited. It felt like the universe went through my butt and out my mouth. It was... Simultaneously? <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, I channeled <laughs> the entire energy of the universe through oh. my body. It was intense and I was, I was, it was great. I mean, I, I really did honestly, like when I was done with my purge, it was clarifying. Um, gold star, gold star. I got the gold star. <laughs> wow. Um, but my subsequent journeys, I've just, you know, in sober space, I was thinking about that experience like, yeah, it was good, but I can't say that I want to do that again. And I'm in ayahuasca consciousness and I'm feeling sort of bubble guts and I can, it's, it's coming up and, and uh, I'm fighting it. I'm I'm not listening. I'm not listening softly. I'm not I'm not willing to puke. And as soon this is weird, but you know we're talking about ayahuasca. <laughs> as soon as I finally said, you know what, fine, I, I will puke. I will I will crap my pants. I, I don't surrender. Care. I surrender. Went away. Mm. Didn't didn't need to puke anymore. One of those fun little lessons grandmother ayahuasca had for me. What you resist persists. Yep. 
You know, I don't know if this story is relevant or a lesson of that kind at all, but I was uh, uh, off at an ayahuasca ceremony helping with the retreat, but got to sit with the medicine a couple times. And um, one night um, I was called up. It was working with this uh, Shipibo mm. medicine team where they they do some hardcore chants at you, at mm. your soul, at your psyche, and they really get in there with you. It's beautiful. Um, and I was called up and uh, being chanted at, and I forgot my bucket. And I, in my experience, I hadn't thrown up most ayahuasca ceremonies, so I wasn't too attached to the bucket. But this chanting can really bring on intense nausea. Mm. Like I've seen it countless times of just chants, boom, an orchestra of throwing up um, ensues. But I was up there and the nausea is mounting. And I have a, a a lot of resistance to throwing up and I have a good ability to squash it, even though I don't, like I'm not proud of that. It comes mm -hmm. in handy sometimes, mm -hmm. but, um, but I was sitting there and mustered up all the like vomiting self-interruption I could <laughs> to stop it. And I stopped it. I even asked for help at some point. I was like, help. But no one heard me, and that was another lesson in itself, of itself. But the next day, I'm sitting there at breakfast with the shaman. I was like, that was intense when you were chanting at me. I, I uh, was hanging on for dear life. I almost threw up all, everywhere. And he's like, Reed, you're doing it wrong. What do you think I was doing in there? I'm like, I'm trying to help you clear some things out, and you were like resisting it. You're getting in the way. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's apropos what we're talking about. Um, so we talked about intentions versus expectations, physical prep, some psychological prep. Um, spiritual is one we didn't talk about explicitly, although a lot of the things we just discussed would probably qualify. Yeah. But I think, you know, depending on your relationship to divine, to mm -hmm. source, to the highest self, to the unknown, like pick it, whatever it is, I think it helps to contemplate your relationship to it before you go into a psychedelic experience. We have measured in the lab that psychedelics mm -hmm. tend to occasion mystical experiences that tend to be very, very meaningful for people. So, you know, buckle up. You, you, even if buckle you up. are not a particularly spiritual or religious person, you're, you're likely to have some kind of mystical experience. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Pays to prepare. Anything else, Reed, around preparation? A lot of good resources out there uh, on psychedelic preparation. We were just talking about Strassman's book, The Psychedelic Handbook. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great preparation chapter, I think. Um, but yeah, just this idea that all life's a ceremony and, you know, you could be, we should all be preparing as we go and as these, these special opportunities come up, that's when a chance to really buckle down. Look at ayahuasca as an example. You have a month, like the two to four weeks leading up to that to really... Um, tune in to your body, your mind, your spirit by eliminating things and getting ready. I think it's a special opportunity. And then afterwards, it's not right into the hamburgers. It's like practice some of that on the tail end too, that I think is part of the magic of that medicine um, in addition to the medicine itself, but the ceremony around it. And I think we can take a page from that in all of our psychedelic experiences, uh, medicine and not through life. Well said. Thanks, Reed. Thanks, Steve. All right. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. 
Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks again. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So, if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.